Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 104. Today we're going to do our college football sprint. We got a lot to talk about this week. Iowa had an interesting upset this past weekend that we are just really going to dig in onto. Oregon's out of the picture. Uh, Spencer Radler is benched and Ohio State has a pretty nice runway in front of them, but a little competition. So excited to jump into that with you guys. After the fact, we're going to get into a deep dive with myself and V. We're going to talk about how to build an abundance mentality and some of the challenges that come with it. Stay tuned. The pilot boys are getting ready to take off. Buckle up, put your tray tables up and enjoy the ride. Let's go. Welcome to the pilot boys podcast, where you will get the real on all things, sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with another college football sprint with Coach Zach Smith. No Ohio State game this weekend, but fireworks everywhere else in the college football landscape. It's it's good for us to have off weeks so the rest of college football can get some attention, guys, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, definitely <laughs> gives you, it gives you something to have to think about, right? Where you're like, all right, this is mostly an Ohio State, at least my show is mostly Ohio State-centric. And then when yeah. they don't play, it's like, oh, well, I can talk about some other people now. Yeah. <laughs> this week was absolutely nuts, though. The upsets were crazy. The The games that I watched were nuts. I mean, I I have to point at the – I called V about this, like, immediately as it happened. But uh, what did you think about Iowa, Zach? I mean, I think that they were on borrowed time, and, and I really – I talked about it all all year on my show that they have a good defense. Uh, don't get me wrong, but their defense was predicated on other teams flat throwing the ball to them. Like <laughs> they leave the country <laughs> in interceptions, and when you watch the film, they're not like blanket coverage, like jumping routes. It's like it's zone coverage, and the quarterback just throws the fucking ball to them. And you're like, <laughs> somebody, someone is gonna not do that, right? And yeah. when they don't, they're gonna win. Like yeah. and I, that's what I said last week. I was like, at some point, and it might not be until the Big Ten Championship game, someone's going to do that, and Iowa's going to get exposed because their offense is just below average, and the defense is solid, but they really ride those interceptions that they were gifted, you know, the first five, six Special games. teams and, and defense. You can yeah, win a lot of games that way. But this wasn't even – this wasn't a close game. This no. was 24-7 to unranked Purdue, now ranked to 25. Exactly. Yeah, and I think I think Purdue was a little undervalued. I mean, they, David Bell's a really, really good player, one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. And I think they, you know, that that was kind of a a a, a trap game for for Iowa because yeah. Iowa was yeah. way too inflated, both in a national perspective, and I'm sure those players in that team thought they were better than they were. Yeah. Um, and they're making all these plays and interceptions, and it's like, yeah, but you did you didn't really do much. You dropped to a third and the guy threw it in your lap. Like, let's yeah. let's calm down for a minute. And so I think I think it was a, a perfect storm for for Purdue to 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 get that upset win. And like you said, it wasn't even close. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been pointing to it all season. It's like they're a phenomenal defense, and you, you know we can talk about this and extend this as well. Teams in this scenario, right? Phenomenal defense, but we had quite haven't figured out what their offense is. It seems like it's very similar to the Georgia story, right? They just haven't run into the right team with the right offense yet that's going to put up some points despite how good their defense is. And you can win a lot of games that way, but there's going to be that moment in time in the season where your defense doesn't create these miracle plays and the special teams doesn't create them. And your offense has to show up 
and play. And it's it vice versa too, right? If you have a great offense and a terrible defense, when you're when you're that lopsided on one side of the ball, and I've never fully understood this because most programs are like this in today's day and age where usually you do not have you have tilted in one way really great offense average defense but it seems like there's not enough of an emphasis on being at least good at both sides of the ball you know (laughs) right i think the reality is when you when you talk about just that upper echelon of college football right playing playing yourself into a top five in in a category right whether it's offense defense throwing the ball running the ball you know to, to have both both sides of the ball play at that level. That's when you see magical things like Alabama last year, LSU yeah. 2019. I mean, you just see just dominance and, and, and a great football team. I mean, the reality is every year in college football, there's maybe at most two yeah. great football teams, right? There's not even yeah. four. Yeah. And that's why the, the expansion of the playoffs is just going to let more, you know, very good teams into that national stage to try to catch an upset win, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you look across the country right now, I mean, Georgia's probably the closest to a great team uh, once they get JT Daniels back. But, I mean, just really their model, how they do it. Um, and, and Ohio State, I think, is too. And and if you want to throw Cincinnati in there, I don't think they've been tested. I think they're a notch below just, just on talent alone. If they were to run into the buzzsaw that is the Georgia Bulldogs or Ohio State, yeah. I don't think Cincinnati fares well in that matchup. But I think I really think Georgia's won right now, and Ohio State's pushing for that second spot as, as the second best team, you know, offense, defense, kicking game in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get any disagreement on that, Zach, especially on this podcast, right? But uh, you know, the only push I would give you is maybe Ohio State should get the one. But uh, man, it's an interesting time for sure because I think the big evolution I've seen over the years is it's in two parts. One, there were some teams that really showed a lot of hype, right? And we're seeing them fall off like like in Iowa. We're seeing Georgia, who has just been – I mean, even watching the game against Kentucky, Kentucky's not a bad team. You no, know? not at all. And they were clearly dominant. And no. as you mentioned, they've been short-staffed all year. Like the fully-fledged Georgia Bulldogs may be just a step above everybody this year, and we'll have to see that. Yeah, defensively, they definitely are. And and I, I said it after the first game against Clemson, and I don't care how how bad Clemson is this year because the stuff I was watching was just, you know, explosion on defense, right? Effort to the yeah. ball, how how quickly they close gaps, things like that where it was, it was independent of opponent. It could have been against us three, and it still would have been like, holy shit, like that is 11 freaks running around a football field yeah. on defense. And, it, yeah. and, and one of the, one of the things that, that I always look at for, to, as evidence in a, in a defense is missed tackles, because if a team is running at that rate of speed, right, you're exploding to the football the way that Georgia is like, that's just privy to missed tackles if you're not extremely talented and extremely well coached because you're running so fast a guy makes a slight movement and you miss right mm. well they've only they've only had 20 i think 28 missed tackles this year through 7 games that's 4 per wow. game i mean it's by and far leading the country in missed tackles and you just look at everything they do they're fifth in the country sacks they get after the quarterback they're freaks everywhere their secondary is ridiculous yeah i mean it's just i don't see a weakness on their defense not one and and that's where you look at like, like let's say Ohio State's defense or Iowa's defense. You can go to any of these, you know, top ten defenses, and you could say, all right, but they their linebackers are, are their weakness, or their corners are their weakness. Georgia, I don't see one on defense, not one. What is that that it's getting? Like the missed tackles is something we struggle with at Ohio State a lot. How, how do you get a team to do that well? 
Uh, it's it's practice. It's fundamentals, and then it's it's it, some of it is ability. I mean, for you to run full speed, you look at some guys like Jordan Fuller was an excellent tackler, right? And 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 even corners. Corners are the ones where you say, all right, Ohio State has been blessed with extremely you know talented corners that can play at a first round coverage ability, but they also come up and tackle you. Denzel Ward, Garyon Conley, mm-hmm. you know Marshawn Lattimore. Those guys would hit you. Maybe Garyon less than the other ones, but I know that's <laughs> these guys. So so I'm gonna tread lightly, but. <laughs> But um, but they'll hit you. You know what I mean. And that's yeah. that's a lot of it's want to. A lot of it's uh, fundamentals. And then coaching it. And I think we talked about it last week. It's hard to practice tackling because it's it's. I mean, it's not a it's not something you want your offensive guys to go through a full speed tackle from from your starting defense. I mean, that's yeah. that's how you get guys hurt. So then, when do you really get to tackle dynamic guys? Not at practice, really. Yeah. You're not going to let yeah. your Chris Olave get tackled full speed ever, right? That that would be dumb. So the first yeah. time you do it is in a game. And so it's about how you train it, how you practice it. And then it's just about experience and growing. Bro, I wouldn't let Chris Olave take the stairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, it it's, brings us to the conversation this year, right? Like you've, you've already kind of alluded to it. We're only, you've only seen, we know one, there's one dominant team and one team, Ohio State, who has the potential to be that if they just get, all the things outside of talent together on the defensive side of the ball, right? Um, but what we're seeing this year again is what this weekend was again a contrast to me um, between two conferences. Because if you look at what the Big Ten is doing this year, four teams in the top 10, I think five in the top 11, Purdue just jumped in um, to the top 25, but yet we're still sitting here watching these SEC pretenders. That's why I'm not even sure how good Georgia is yet. Yes, they have the win against Clemson. But I'm looking at these teams in the SEC that I thought might be good, like a Florida, for example. That Florida win is meaningless to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you evaluate what's happening in the SEC? And is is the potential there for two Big Ten teams to get in like we see sometimes two SEC teams get in if we see teams continue. Like, let's say Michigan wins out and their only losses to number two Ohio State at that point. is Do you think that that will ever happen, or do you think the SEC is the only conference that can get that type of respect? Um, I, th- I think it really so, – so the one thing that I try not to do is is go on the, you know – the who beat who and yeah, yeah, who beat who and who, you know, was this a quality win or not a quality win? Because the reality is teams, teams show up, especially if it's an inconsistent team like Florida, they could show yeah. up one week and look like the Florida of old. And then three weeks later, they come out and you're like, what, what the fuck is this team? This is garbage. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, so does that discredit the win three weeks earlier? Cause they didn't tackle like that three, three weeks earlier. Yeah. Like maybe the quarterback didn't throw those interceptions in that game. Mm. So who did you beat? You didn't. It, you didn't beat a team that threw it to you four times. You beat a good team that that weekend, right? Because they're young kids. So what I really try to do is just watch. When I watch the film, I just watch the execution, right? Like I said, the yeah. fundamentals, the execution, the effort, how talented the team is. And then you kind of got to project coaching a little bit, right? Development, yeah. like with Ohio State. Like early in the year, I said no no shot that they, they win out and make the playoffs after they lose to Oregon. Yeah. And then look how they looked against Tulsa. But you got, to, you got to take into account, right? Some of these guys are young. If you really have have trust in the coaches as and their ability to develop those those key players that need to develop, 
now you can kind of project like, oh, you know what? Ohio State has a, a nice schedule set up to, to really improve and enhance this team leading up to Penn State. And then that's going to be their next test. And if they pass that test, you feel good about them having the confidence and the momentum to roll Michigan State and get to the rivalry game and then keep that streak alive in that game. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to do, but I really don't. I don't know that I don't think there's two Big Ten teams that are worthy of making the playoffs. I don't care how how they win, lose, or draw. Um, in my opinion, right now, the teams that I see that are playoff caliber teams is Oklahoma now with Caleb Williams, Ohio State, Georgia, and then Cincinnati, barring some upset to SMU late in the year. Right, Cincinnati could fuck it up. That's Cincinnati's sure. going to get happens. Cincinnati right now. Looks like they're going to get in if they went out. Right, they're Absolutely. not going to be left out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah. they should. I don't see how they don't. I mean, unless Alabama just turns it on. I mean, they hear, it's like anything else. Here's, here's where the college football world can go into turmoil, right? If a team doesn't yeah. just handle their business and all of a sudden Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game and then Ohio State loses to Michigan and then all of a sudden you have a bunch of one-loss teams and you're like, all right, what yeah. the fuck? Who, who gets in now, right? Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, yeah. Yeah. hopefully a couple teams just handle their business. I don't see how Cincinnati doesn't survive it and make the top four, though, as long as they don't. As long as they win convincingly and beat an SMU team that looks like a, a solid opponent, then I think they get in. Yeah, I, want to circle, I agree. I want, I want to circle back to something that you've you've said multiple times in this show, like how you evaluate good teams. And yeah. one of the things that you really pointed to was effort. And I think this is an important point because a lot of the high-level programs, they all have elite talent, Right. But there's a challenge that comes with getting elite talent that's been told that they're great mm -hmm. for multiple years or five-star prospects, four-star prospects. It happens at the NFL level, too. A first, The effort that a first-round glorified pick might give you versus the sixth-rounder who's trying to make the team. At programs like a Georgia, where you're seeing all 11 guys giving that effort at an elite program, or you, you, you see at times at Alabama and Ohio State, how do you manage that? How do you check the egos that are developed in these 18, 19 year old kids sometimes before they even set foot on campus to then get them to give the same effort as the guy that's a preferred walk on who really, really is like, I really need to work hard to be here. How do you balance that? And how do you get that to happen at an elite program? I mean, you know, it, it all comes down to culture. It really does. And it, and it comes down to current players, like older players. I mean, it's not for a coach to demand effort. I mean, that was my whole thing after we kind of turned the culture at Ohio State was like, I'm not coaching effort. Like, if you don't give effort, yeah. I'll tell you to fuck off and go sit in the back of the room. Like, yeah, we, that, you're wasting my time if we got to talk about effort. We're trying to enhance your toolbox and develop you into a great football player. If you can't give me effort, I'm not giving you coaching. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not wasting my time because I have 10 other guys that will. And really, once you get the culture to a point, I mean, Nick Saban does it. Obviously, Kirby Smart does it. Ryan does it. And Urban did it. I mean, there's certain programs that once you kind of have the culture and you recruit the right character guys, there's not a lot you have to do because older players kind of set the standard and hold everyone else to that standard. So it's, it's something that, I mean, don't get me wrong. There'll be a high, high profile kid that comes in every now and then that's a pain in the ass. And if you can't fix it through your culture, then it's probably not going to be fixed. And he's just got to go. It happened to us with one receiver that I won't name, but it was just, it was never going to work out. I mean, we knew it after a month and it was like, all right, yeah. well, he's got to go. And he went and had a yeah. nice little average ass career and didn't make it in the NFL. Shocker. Yeah. And it's, it's that 
question was 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 meant to kind of extend to a second question, which was the culture effort. What's happening at Oklahoma right now? Yes, yeah. they have a great team. They have a lot of talent. The freshman is great, but it seems like they're handling this scenario in every way but right in terms of taking <laughs> <laughs> a bad situation and fucking it up <laughs> in, in terms of the collateral damage that that's going to have when the person at the top the coach is not creating a true culture of accountability <laughs> in any way shape or form or honesty or transparency how does that potentially impact a team going down the line this is a playoff contending team and you have the coach even saying that I might play Spencer Rattler, Rattler next week. Like, what the hell is going on? And what is, what is the what is the potential collateral damage of that scenario? Um, I mean, the potential collateral damage is that that they lose to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's the most under talked about team in the country right now. They're undefeated, yeah. and that that matchup at the end of the year is going to be huge if they can keep it rolling. So that they will yeah. lose to Oklahoma State if they still have this this. I guess, cancerous culture issue, right? This leech yep. that's, that's drawing the energy the wrong direction. And I agree. I think Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's screwing it up, you know, in a colossal way right now. But yep. you also have to know that he's in them. He's not a, he's not a dumb coach, right? He, he's no, in, he's he's in the coach. thick of it, right? He's in yep. the woods with this, this team, this culture and everything. And he probably knows something that we don't know. I mean, maybe Spencer Rattler is the key to winning a national championship there, and he just hasn't played like it, and so he doesn't want to yeah. lose that key. He wants to keep coaching and developing it. We don't really know. All yeah. we do know is what we see, which is Spencer Rattler looks like a little bitch that is taking yeah. his ball and going home. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, I thought it was really funny seeing him on the sideline only play with a hat on, Jordan Brand hat. I don't even know if that's OU's sponsor. I was like, what? What is this guy doing right now? Like, he stands next to the coach. He's holding a clipboard half the time. You know what I mean? Chewing some gum. Like, is he joining the coaching staff? <laughs> if he is, then he must be really a great kid, and and he's going to help coach up his backup. But it just he doesn't seem like that. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I really don't. We've I do never. Not. We've actually never seen anything like this ever in in my time in in watching college football. Anything like this? You take a guy who's a Heisman front runner, <laughs> who's supposed to be a top five NFL draft pick. And now he can't even make the cut to, to play and get on the field at Oklahoma. Like, and look at this. He's, he doesn't seem stressed about it. If you look <laughs> at him on the sideline, he's having a pretty good time. <laughs> maybe that maybe it's just a kid who had so much pressure on him. I mean, when you've, got family, million, when you've got, yeah. over, when you've got a couple million dollars in NIL cup money coming in, I think it's easier to, to smile. Yeah, right? maybe that. Maybe Johnny, he's just Johnny Manziel looked pretty happy when he was getting all of those uh, uh, illegal. I think it goes. It goes to the pressure that you put on, you know, a, a 15, 16 year old kid, right, in high yeah. school, right? I mean, There's no doubt, it's got to feel good to have everyone writing you off at at this stage, so that the pressure drops a little bit. There's yeah. no doubt. There's no doubt, and I mean you. If if it's handled the right way, there's nothing to say that Spencer Rattler won't be an NFL quarterback one day. Yeah, he's got um, all the he's just, He just doesn't give his team the best chance to win this year. And you look at what happened with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. It was a similar scenario. Now Jalen Hurts handled it. I don't know, eight hundred million times better than Spencer <laughs> Rattler. Did. But um, but it, and it all worked out for Jalen, right? He handled it with class. He helped coach Tua up, and he was like, you know what? 
I know, I know my path is going to lead to where I want to go. So I'm just going to deal with the obstacles that are placed in front of me and keep my character above all else. Right. And that, that's why it worked out for Jalen. Is Spencer yeah. capable of that? I doubt it, but who knows? People can change too. But yeah. that's, that's a great point that you're making. Partha, is a lot of this is there are, I grew up with kids with the mentality of a Spencer Rattler who, because of the right coaches, the right parents, the right structure around them, they developed into mature adults that learned from, hey, this isn't really the way that I should carry myself. And it remains to be seen whether that happens here, but that's where the frustration with the Lincoln Riley, it's like force this kid to accept that, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. And this kid is taking your job because of that versus just kind of catering to his ego and and making sure he feels okay because you're worried i don't know what you'd be let him transfer you know what i mean yeah. get that out of the way we talked about the same thing with dwayne haskins last year in the nfl just talking about how it can be helpful for a, a, a quarterback especially who has that kind of expectation that kind of attitude about how they uh, how they play to get humbled up a little bit and to have yeah. to sit back and you know to your to your guys point like I feel like it's almost a disservice not to be honest with the kid, but Zach, you're, you're probably right too. There's probably some dynamic here that we don't know about. There's probably some personality trait or, or issue in the locker room or some reason why, you know, Lincoln Riley's conducting himself this way, but you can only hope that for the kid's sake, he gets the kind of growth and, and maturity that he needs to become a successful adult. Cause he's only 20 right now, maybe 21, you know, that's a, that's a kid. There's no doubt. Honest conversation is hard, especially with a player with that kind of, you know, reputation and goals and and people talking about he's going to be the number one overall pick. Yeah. I mean, having an honest conversation with a player like that is really hard. Yeah. And it, and it takes a real ass football coach to do it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Lincoln's that guy. I mean, I'd imagine he is. He's pretty damn successful. So I'd imagine yeah, he's, he's had a, to do that a, good, a time or that's, two. That's why this is head scratching because everything else about him you like. You know, you respect him. I respect Lincoln Riley. I don't feel about him like some other coaches. <laughs> orange and <laughs> but it's 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 fascinating, and it might be as simple as also there's the other scenario, right? Whoever that shadowy figure that cut the check to bring Spencer Rattler to Oklahoma might have some influence on this as well, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's the other part of it that, yeah. you know, you don't want it, you don't want to think about, but it's definitely playing a role. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so where do you kind of see the landscape or how state kind of failed forward without do, not failed, but did nothing and move forward pretty dramatically this last week? We're at number five. If we went out, we're in. There's no question about that at this point. How do you handle that as Ryan Day? You, you've been able to build up this story of we're the underdog. We lost to Oregon. No one's respecting us. We got to get that respect back. And suddenly the players come back not doing anything and are sitting at number five. How yeah. do you manage that um, as a coach? Well, I think I think it's all about your message to the team, right? I mean, the the message to the team should be and should have always been all year and still is to this day. Like we are still not a top five football team. Even I don't yeah. you can't buy into the media. You can't buy into rankings. None of that matters, and it it literally doesn't matter. Those rankings don't matter at all for anything. And it's it's just a matter of all right. We need to get better. 
I mean, just week in, week out, we need to get better and we need to improve our, our weaknesses and we need to enhance our strengths and the coaches are going to put them in position to be successful and they have to go do it. Like you have to yeah. go out against Indiana this weekend on the road and you have to go do it. They need to go win this game by 35 points. They yeah. do because Indiana is not a great football team. And if Ohio State plays them even remotely close, there's going to be a list of reasons of why Ohio State is not primed for for the national landscape, right? They can, you can talk about the Big Ten Championship all day long, but it's just going to be about game by game, getting better every week. They have a young yeah. team, uh, a, a change in the defensive staff, so much so, so much uh, change that they just need to keep improving every week and just find a way to beat Penn State in two weeks on Halloween weekend in the horseshoe. I mean, it, that's a very winnable game. Penn State's awful on offense with a really solid defense. They should be able to win that game, right? Then you come back, and then you got to go beat Mi Michigan State on uh, at home again. And then you got to go yep. beat Michigan in the rivalry game. So it's just going to be about cr kind of peaking at the right time, and can they get as high as they need to get to actually go compete with a Georgia or someone like that at the end and come out unscathed? It's like a yeah. buzzsaw. Like this, this schedule, once you get past Indiana, is – all top 10 opponents and then the big 10 championship is likely going to be against Iowa, which is going to be back in the top 10 at that point as well. So it's like, there's no room for a bad week for the rest of the season for Ohio state. No, it kind of feels, it feels good as a fan to see a, a tough schedule like this after, after, you know, we've had our years where we didn't really play anybody and yeah. it's nice. It's nice to see the big 10 good. It's nice to see these games actually be tough. Like, I'm glad to feel nervous about the Penn State game. Like, I'm excited to watch every snap of that game. Zach, how hard is it to keep that number five ranking and the media attention out of the locker room? Because I remember as a college kid, nothing would reach me, even if people yeah. were like, yo, don't pay attention to that. Like, I wasn't going to listen. I was still, no, no. you know. I mean, you, 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 although that's the narrative today, I mean, these kids have dealt with narratives all season, right? I mean, they were – they lost to Oregon. One after a loss, you, you, I mean, you're humbled and you have a different perspective on everything because mm. at the same time when they said Ohio State lost their, their 11 or whatever the hell they dropped to, it's like, all right, we already had to get through our head that the rankings are bullshit. So now we already, it's already in our head that the rankings are bullshit. Even no matter how yeah. high you put us, that's always been phony, right? And on top yeah. of that, I mean, They've went through a ton of adversity, not just the loss, right? Looking terrible in Tulsa. C.J. Stroud should be benched. The defense sucks. Fire the coordinator. All this yeah. turmoil that they've went through and experienced. I mean, it kind of it toughens you up a little bit. Where then you don't you don't really ride the highs because you don't want to deal ride the lows. And, and I think that what what we're going to see this year is if Ohio State or may, let's not even say Ohio State. Let's say Ohio State, Michigan State, or Michigan. If any of them can come through this thing, yeah. and 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 really find a way to win these games down the stretch it's going to be like the sec was you know last year two years ago where they get to the playoffs and they've been through some heavyweight bouts and it's not a complete shock when they go up against bama right because yeah. the reality is that's what happens some of these teams in the big 10 in years past have just run through a schedule right and and been successful pretty much every game and then they face a big time opponent and they haven't faced a team like that yet and and it's eye-opening and you get kind of yeah. a wide-eyed look on the field like, holy shit, this team's good. It's like, yeah, here in the playoffs, they're going to be really good. Yeah. yeah. The, it's a luxury the Big Ten has this year where there's some solid teams. So they're going to be tested and have to, you know, overcome those tests just to get there. So they'll they'll have experience with, with good teams. So is it a viable coaching strategy in college football? If you have a team that 
is likely to be a top four contender? Is it viable to look for a early defining loss and essentially just not coach that well to try and create a disadvantage for your players? No, I mean, you know, you'd never do that because you're trying to win every game you play because you don't know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, Oregon, uh, Oregon, if they would have beaten Oregon, then they could lose to Penn State and still make the playoffs. So you never want to, obviously, you don't want to <laughs> set up a loss. Yeah. It's, it's more about just creating adversity. You know, if you're not going to lose create game, adversity, you can create adversity other ways in practice and training camp and things like that to, to create an edge for your team. You don't need a loss and you certainly don't want a loss. Yeah. How do you How do you humble people up mentally? Like what? What are some ways that are you? Can you share? <laughs> uh, I don't know yeah, if this is like a trade secret. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's, you know, it's just it's it's all about creating adversity. You do it through scrimmages, scenarios. I mean, the good thing about football is is there's there's generals like percentages of success, right? In certain scenarios, and if if your offense is is really full of itself, and maybe the defense, you know, is is I don't want to say low morale, but needs it needs needs their confidence to boost. Go go do a third down practice because the the success rate of third downs like maybe forty six percent for an offense and you're in the top yeah. five in the country. So you do a third down day and the defense wins, you know, sixty percent of the reps. Defense yeah. feels good. The offense is humbled, but in reality, that's a pretty good day for the offense. It just doesn't yeah. feel like it because you got beat more than you won, right? Yeah. It's it's anything like that, and no different than if you need your offense to start having you know both sides to build confidence then you go ones on twos all practice long so now you're going yeah. against your second string defense you should be able to i've seen it backfire too we're also you're going against <laughs> second string defense you can't fucking move the ball you're like holy yeah. shit we suck <laughs> <laughs> but it's about creating those those situations those small victories to to get the mentality right where you want it wow i i every time i talk to you about some of these things it's just my mind is racing and you know all of all of our employees at last are going to deal with the byproduct of these ideas <laughs> i apologize lasso employees <laughs> <laughs> why are we um, doing flag football against yeah. our interns <laughs> there are there's no third down in business i'm just like yes there is <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man that's it's uh been another crazy week anything you're looking forward to this this weekend any matchups no there's the not a ranked week? matchup in the country yeah, there it's an awful last weekend week, of college football all the fireworks happened last week so we can yeah. just focus I mean, it's in. like it's like anything else i mean i i can watch ohio state indiana and learn a ton about ohio state as a team even if they win if they win by 20 14 or 40 like so i'm excited to watch some of the teams i think will be in the th in the mix at the end just to see how they're developing and coming yeah. along it'll help me kind of project where i see them going but other than that there's not going to be a i mean there, there'll probably be an upset you we all know that yeah it's there's always going to be an upset but yeah. on paper this weekend sucks <laughs> yeah it does it does but at least everyone can uh, can tune in uh to the live stream because that's the only game that matters if if you're looking for for great, great <laughs> analysis, like, this weekend sucks. Don't watch my live stream. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my live stream will be entertaining whether the game sucks or not. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So tune well, into that you. on YouTube and uh, check out Menace to Picks for all of his sports betting picks on this terrible weekend. I'm sure he has. It's it makes it easier to to pick pick winners. Zach, just, are you going to pick any upsets? Um, I don't know yet. I, I I haven't done my preview show till, and I'll do it Thursday. But um, I don't. I doubt it. I mean, I looked at the slate, and I don't think I didn't see an upset on the slate. Even one wow. that 
I thought had a chance. But just speaking of gambling, I don't know if you know this, Vete, but do you know Sunday was the worst gambling day for Vegas for sports books in in like the forty some year history of really? sports gambling? Wow. Everybody covered. Every one o'clock NFL game covered the spread. The favorite, the favorite did. Wow. And I mean, wow. the, the guy at BetMGM that runs their sports book was like, in, he's been, in 40 years, I've never seen a losing day like this. Like it was. They took a bloodbath. I mean, bloodbath. Wow. Wild, right? Wow. That's just nuts. Nuts. Well, on but, that note. Know, they'll have 364 <laughs> more days to win. So oh, not, yeah. It's bad for one day, but it's not bad in the long term. It's never bad in the long run if you're the yeah. book. <laughs> always wins. Oh, man. On that note, it's been a pleasure, Zach. Thanks for joining us again on this College Football Sprint. As we mentioned, it's Menace Sports and Menace to Picks. Check that out over the weekend while you're watching the Ohio State game and any of the other games to catch Zach's commentary. I always enjoy it. I always tune in on my phone while I watch on, on the TV. So uh, going to do that definitely again. Thank you, man, for joining us, and uh, go Bucks. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. All right, V. What's up, dog? Not too much, man. Not too much. It's been a good weekend this weekend. I didn't have to tune in to college football, but paid attention to it from a distance uh from the beach uh so <laughs> <laughs> it looked amazing in miami oh it was quick quick journeys are the best journeys so man that's awesome yeah i had uh the opposite experience you know usually you're the one glued to the couch and i'm the one at the beach this weekend i was glued to the couch you were at the beach <laughs> and uh i caught so many fun games had such a nice unwind and I took a, a page out of, uh, you know, our CMO, Lasso, Scott. I called him on Friday. I was like, hey, bro, like, what do you do on the weekends? Because I, I was so exhausted with all of the, like, clout stuff in L.A., right? Yeah. I just wanted to have, like, a regular weekend. Yeah. And he was just like, dude, I have a bunch of friends over, make a bunch of food, have a bunch of drinks, put out, like, cornhole in my backyard, and we just have a good time. And I tried it. I cooked up a bunch of Mexican food, made tacos. They were delicious. By the way, if, uh, you know, for everyone listening, your boy is a hell of a cook and you can ask anybody that's had my cooking. I think they will agree. Um, so made some fire tacos and uh, had a bunch of friends over, man. And it was rewarding. It was nice to make a decision for once that didn't have any sort of 
material or social value related or financial upside, just the decision yeah. that had a happiness upside only. Yeah, it's, it's so important to have those. I try to make a few of those decisions daily um, just because it really is easy to get caught up, especially in a market like LA or New York where it's normalized to kind of have that mindset that everything that you do has to have some attached value or potential value to it for you to do it. Um, and sometimes it's good to just do stuff to do stuff, you know, yeah. this thinking, even thinking through like what your reason or analysis as to why you should do it. And I think that that's part of a, the reason that I think a lot of highly ambitious people have a lot of mental health deficiencies because they don't think like that. They don't do much for themselves. They're constantly doing with a goal or objective in mind. And that actually is a, is more harmful than helpful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that brings us into today's topic with the abundance mentality. I think that in our society, we get trained to look for social value or for money outcomes out of almost every decision we make. And like the money part was something I felt more when I was a kid, but I'm not sure if our current generation really feels the same way about money as we do. I feel like they're more driven by like a digital currency, which is likes and followers and that type of validation. Yeah. It's, it's the same psychology, just a different metric, right? Or different variable money versus clout. Right. Exactly. You know, first and foremost, like, do you remember when you first, woke up to that fact V like when did you first realize how much you were driven by you know not always the things you wanted to be driven by I think it was uh it was shortly it was probably in my college years when I realized realized um for the first time it didn't mean that I took action on it it was the first time that I realized hey money isn't necessarily everything it shouldn't be necessarily the goal um, of success or a variable of success, right? Um, but that was very early on. I would say it would probably be about 10 years later, well into my life of chasing money, graduating <laughs> <laughs> college and needing money to survive and also um, to be able to do the things uh, that you want to be able to do without um, those those unlimited college loans or calling home for that money, right? Yeah. But I think you got to go through that process of understanding, um, understanding what money actually is, um, and that happens to each person at a different time. And I think the person or the quote that I heard, um, that kind of really—I don't know exactly when I heard it—but um, it was when Bob Marley said that um, money is numbers, and numbers have no end. So if you're chasing money, you'll never be fulfilled, and. That's something that from that point that I heard that has really stuck with me. It doesn't mean that I'm not influenced by things because I think we all agree that money is does have value from a transactional standpoint to be able to create the life that you want. But it's very important to understand what it is you actually need money for and aim to get that versus chasing this never ending cycle of I need more, more, more. Like if I become a millionaire, I need to become a hundred millionaire. If I become a hundred millionaire, I need to become a billionaire. That's the mindset that I think has a lot of 
collateral damage, not financially necessarily, but from your personal standpoint and a happiness standpoint, once you allow that to enslave you, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I, I'm totally with that. I think that that points me toward what I would call like this, like, I want to be a billionaire mindset. It's like what I see in my generation, the millennial generation, but it's like everybody who wanted to pursue any sort of ambitious career you talk to them and this is myself included, by the way, I'm not going to let myself off the hook yeah. today. Um, but myself included, it's like, what, what are you going to do? And it's, it's just this certainty like, Oh, well, I'm going to be a billionaire later. First of all, with inflation, many of us will be billionaires. Yeah. Second of all, um, why is that a goal? Right? Like it took me a while for me to look in the mirror and be like, why is that even something that I want? It has nothing to do with, anything that affects me it just is it, it's a status symbol at the end of the day and like like you be my my awakening was to the fact that i was driven and desired like fame and attention and so i spent a lot of years chasing that and i got a lot of it and it was awesome but it wasn't it wasn't it you know and each time i got down that rabbit hole i just felt emptier because it's you put in all this work to get somewhere and you get like this pleasure high, but you need more and more. The fix has to get bigger and it's like exponentially bigger. Like you just said it, like when you have 1 million, 2 million, would it, would it make you happier? 10 will make you happier, yeah. but it's so fleeting. And from 10, you're just miserable till you get to a hundred. And it's just, we set these goals for ourselves that are arbitrary, that don't relate to anything around us and also have no bearing on us as people. Yep. Yep, it's 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 fascinating, and you you brought up how there's a generation gap. It's interesting when you look at how likes and attention also kind of almost have the opposite negative impact on people, right? Because they're not being financially responsible at all. Yeah, they're they're constantly seeking that next post or that next way to flex on people what they're doing is wasting a resource which is money on things that cannot create any real value for yourself just kind constantly reinforce the same thing you got to figure out the next hustle or the next con or the next way to create that clout and that's almost like you know it's it's not good to chase money but it's also it's interesting where clout these things that drive the clout for the most part are the perception or giving off the perception of status and money, right? So it's uh it's it's kind of this fascinating dichotomy where you have an older generation that's constantly financially insecure. Um and then you have a younger generation that's very constantly personally insecure. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then they spend the money on the on the the emotional validation of feeling cool. Yep. Right. And it's yep. to your point, it's just like it's a weird cycle. Yeah, it is. It's a it's fascinating, but you know, a lot of this is driven by the acceptance that human beings are easily manipulated. Right? All of this is we're manipulated by the thought that money matters. Somebody made up this shit. You know, it wasn't money hasn't always existed in society it wasn't always the way transactions occurred somebody created it it's make-believe and we all decided to buy into the make-believe and that says more about like 
the flaws of human psychology uh, than it does anything else. Like it's easy for us to point to the clout chaser on social media and say, what's wrong with them? You know what I mean? It's easy for us to point to the greedy, the greedy CEO and say, there's something wrong with them. But it's a lot harder to say there's something wrong with us yeah. as a society. And that's why we kind of double down on these things. And there's a lot, bringing it back to money, there's a lot of money to be made from manipulating the seven or so billion people that live in this world to create wealth for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that that's a fundamental part of how our economy works, to be honest. It's yep. a few people really just getting everyone else to focus on the wrong things. It's kind of like a magician at the end of the day. It's like, look over here while I do while I do this thing. And it, it brings me back to kind of this core core essence of like, you know, you see, I think about this a lot. I see my friends and I see people I know constantly make the decision to get whatever is Instagram picture worthy without care for the expense, right? To your mm -hmm. point, using a valuable resource to get that validation for no real reason. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't add to what they're building. It doesn't add to their persona, to the brand they're building. It doesn't, the experience, they don't even think about that much because they're more worried about getting the, the photo right, you know, so they're not even appreciating it. And it's, I think in general, that's a wasteful way to live. And I think that anytime you're driven by pleasure, it's a wasteful way to live because you're chasing a high that doesn't contribute to you, your health, your mental health, your purpose or spirit in any way. It just contributes on a very low tier physical level to your body, you know, very similarly to, you know, any sort of like any sort of drug. Yeah, it's, it's very addictive. And I think also what people don't realize about greed and flexing and clout, they're all signs of insecurity, right? Mm. Like, if you can actually afford the car or the watch, then why do you need to post about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. You know, why would you like, that's the thing, you know, they say, uh, uh, you know, to quote Lil Wayne, real G's move in silence, you know? Um, and I think that what happens to people is that they, people really seem to enjoy shitting on other people to make themselves feel better because what you're doing is saying, look, I have this and you don't, therefore I am better than you. That's what you're saying by doing that, you know? And it's unfortunate because we live in a world of celebrity and entertainment that that is driven. You live in LA, you know how much is driven by these superficial, superficial variables, right? But at the end of the day, the collateral damage is that a whole lot of people are chasing variables that only a few people can attain and destroying their lives, destroying their psychology more than any, not just their financial ruin, but more importantly, your well-being and your mental capacity and mental strength gets compromised by all of these things that in the end leave you constantly chasing, like you said, a high, like a heroin addict chases a high, um, just through a different lens and through a different vehicle.
Yeah. You know, one counter argument to this is that of taste. It's, it's saying, well, I'm demonstrating my taste. And I think the thought is that taste is a good thing. You know, if you like nice things, that's fine, but it's not taste if you only like expensive things, right? Yeah. <laughs> like those Venn diagrams don't overlap the yeah. things that you should like and the, the price of them that nobody purely likes only the expensive things in life. That's just not how we're structured as people. And so if you, if you lose the core regulatorship that drives us, right? Like the, uh, the yeah. football game watching on the weekend or the sitting at the beach or just the ba the basic stuff that's like not it doesn't require money to do it it doesn't require much honestly other than just just sitting down and having a regular day if you lose touch with that side of yourself i think that's a dangerous place to go it, it is and you know and it's funny when you go through these worlds i i've probably in the last few years really detached myself from people and environments in which the main driving force is clout and status, right? Mm -hmm. You can have it, but once you disconnect yourself from those environments, you realize also that what you were saying about taste, you can have great taste without thinking about what is the response that it's going to get, right? Like a lot of if you listen, look at the great artists and painters that people pay tens of millions of dollars for, none of them, none of their taste in art was driven by how expensive their painting was going to be. <laughs> yes. That was created afterwards, right? Yeah. That's, they had great taste as artists that had nothing to do with how much their art cost. And it was worth nothing when it was made, by the way. For most of these guys, it wasn't worth much till they died. It wasn't. It wasn't. Guys or girls. And even if you look at some of the great fashion houses and fashion designers, a lot of the people who are actually creating the things that you like are not even the people who are getting paid the most money. They're the people who want to do the work, who will sit in front of a computer and design people's concepts all day and yeah. make sure they're well put together the the factory worker who's getting paid next to nothing who's making sure that they meet the design specifications so those people all have taste but it's not attached to the financial value of the belt or the shirt that you're buying that part of it is all man-made and goes back to what we're saying creating an economy around the perception of having taste it's a cheat code to just wear the same gucci belt or gucci backpack or louis vuitton it's a cheat code to do that you're buying taste by buying that you're saying i have taste but you're not doing any of the work you haven't done yeah. any of the work real taste goes to those people who go to the goodwill store and can put together a vintage outfit or put together an outfit on a budget yes I prided myself on being able to have good taste without spending the same amount of money i don't want to i'd rather spend that thousand dollars on a stock than a thousand dollars on on a backpack that is going to deteriorate every time i use it it doesn't matter how good the quality is you know what yeah 100 I mean? i think that difference in what what you your confidence is with what you wear relative to what you spend that's that's just security you know what i mean yeah that's what that's what that looks like like 
everyone's dollars they're spending on things that are too expensive for them is insecurity just manifested in currency. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if I were if I were running LVMH right now, the way I'm looking at how people spend on Louis and Chanel and Coach and Gucci, I'm just like, yo, like these are cattle getting fattened up for slaughter. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I feel like you're sitting there and you're like, all right, like drink up the clout guys. Like I'm just taking your money from you, you idiots for a purse or for a wallet. You know, people spend like $700. Like these decisions don't make sense to me and they'll never make sense to me. And yeah, it seems to be, <laughs> seems to be just like a core part of American culture. This like waste financially. I mean, you look at the moment that you knew it was going to shit was actually coordinated with the Instagram generation. These big fashion houses used to actually used to, a lot of their pieces were cut and sew. A lot of their pieces were actually expensive to manufacture. Like there is a difference between a nice tailored suit and an off the rack suit. There is it's, actually there definitely is. There's, yeah. a there's a measurable difference. But once these houses discovered that what a lot of people were chasing was not the quality of the product, but the name on the product, you and I know this, the, the Gucci sweatshirt that they print on is the same hoodie that the $40, $50 hoodie company prints on. It's just that the label says Gucci. And once these fashion houses design figure this out, that's why you see LVMH the guy's net worth now those fashion houses no fashion designer or fashion or luxury brand you had a limited market of people but you got a good return from that but now the LVMH he's in the top three most wealthiest and that's exactly what they figured out was what you're saying is these people are cattle they're idiots they want to status more than anything else let's increase our margins by just mass producing these t-shirts and these hoodies that just say our brand on it that don't require any real investment for us to make. And they're going to pay a premium for it just because our name is on it and everyone's bought in. So is it a problem? You can, you can blame the fashion house all you want, but are you looking, people have to look in the mirror, your decisions are your decisions. And if you're an idiot and you're, you are saying, I need to have a closet full of Gucci, and you know <laughs> that's that's a you problem not a they problem they're putting the they're putting it out there just like you make a decision to put a needle in your arm on a drug that's your decision it's not anyone else's decision yeah what you need to work on is the power to make decisions based on value real value versus perceived value and versus external value and i think yeah. you know that that relates to entrepreneurship in a key way I don't want to steal steal your thoughts on this because this is kind of what triggered, you know, your text kind of triggered our conversation here about even in business or entrepreneurship, having a certain mindset of creating value versus extracting value um, works. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, just to put the button on the designer side, like if you want your $700 Balenciaga t-shirt, get your $700 Balenciaga t-shirt. Balenciaga t-shirt. That's not what we're saying. Yes. Just don't tell everyone about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you if you're behind that and you're not telling everyone about it, you genuinely love the quality, you're doing good for yourself. 
I actually like designer brands. Why I like suits is they don't say the name of the designer on it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. They say it inside. Like a yep. classy. It's classy. It's thoughtful. Yep. yep. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Yes, we are talking about business building, but we're talking about it from the context of this, this, the things that we make and build. Like I see this in entrepreneurs as we, we talk about it with artists like, so many people approach with a goal of something measurable that someone else dictates, right? So that would be like, if I want to be a musician coming in and saying, well, I want to be a number one artist. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the music you make. That has to do with the reception to the music you make. So that's not anything related to what you said you want to do. Like what you're saying in that situation is I want a lot of people to value me and that only goes to show that you're fucking empty inside if that's the goal that you enter something with. And I think that's an important thing for us all to think about is that if, you, if you're starting a business, like you don't start a business saying, I want to be successful. I want to be a well-known entrepreneur. I want to be this. I want to be that. You start a business. Money. Yeah. yeah. If you start it with I, it's the wrong goal. It's not your goal. The goal is I want to help this person solve this problem or I want to make kids who grew up in suburban Ohio feel like they have more opportunity with my music I want to make you know people who are athletes or who who used to be athletes and still value that I want to make it easier for them to take care of their bodies in real day-to-day -day life when they have other obligations and not enough time to think about shit like there's a lot of different whys that we can have but Anytime that's focused on you, it's just not a reason to do something. It's a reason to not do something, in my opinion. Yeah, and eventually it is, you are going to expose yourself. And as much as you can cheat society and there are people who get ahead, you see in every scenario that eventually there's a price to pay, right? Like we're seeing it play out now with John Gruden, Bill Gates, these people who did a really good job of masking who they really were um, through the vehicles that they were creating that actually created value. But now you're seeing that there's always a price to pay. There's always, and that's the storyline. People always, I hear the Wall Street guys and my friends who are investment banking, they love the movie Wall Street, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you understand the lesson from that movie is to not be Gordon Gecko? It's not to be Gordon. You know <laughs> same, I mean? same with Wolf of Wall Street. If someone's like, that's my favorite movie, I'm like, why? <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's a great performance. But like, why? Do you want to be that? Because it's specifically telling you not to do that. <laughs> it's same with like the classic Scarface. Right. It's like the dude gets dies in the end because he got greedy and, and lost lost his way. He's not a hero. He's an anti-hero. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just seems to be that we kind of have these situations where when it's related to money, people's logic just gets gets so confused that they don't know and they admire people that they really shouldn't be admiring. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's crazy because it's like, yeah, to your point, like those characters who are exemplified as really like these negative characters in the film, yeah. very flawed. People look at that on such a pedestal and it doesn't yeah. matter how the film closes out. The fact that they're portrayed in this 
larger than life way. Everyone wants that. And I, I mean, that's, it's just so, so nuts to me. Like it's nuts to me. There's a lot that's nuts to me about this world, but even the subtle desire that a lot of people have to tell others what to do is nuts to me because there's enough shit to figure out in your own life. You know what I mean? To even like give others advice. And then beyond all of that, you're talking about these things, which is like making your decisions based on cloud or, you know, money or, or whatever. It's, it's like, what, like, do people even care about what they do anymore? Like, do people even think about what they could leave behind in the world? Like it's, it's almost like, these concepts of honor and legacy are two concepts that I just, I don't hear those words anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny and we get examples, right? We have great examples, even in pop culture, right? Like I'm a huge fan of the guys from Daft Punk, right? Like they never chased the credit or they knew who who Daft, everybody knew who Daft Punk was, but those two guys could walk down the street. They didn't care about the clout. They cared about the music. And that's why they created as great of music, as timeless of music as they did. Banksy is another example. He's getting credit and everybody knows who Banksy is, but it's not attached to an individual that we know. He could be walking down the street in LA and you wouldn't recognize him, Partha. You wouldn't know who he is, you know? And it was a funny yeah. in, in Ted Lasso, that scene. Yeah. I was like, that's Banksy, <laughs> you know? Is that, was that actually Banksy, by the way? I, we don't know. That's what's amazing about oh, it. Oh, you're, oh, we, so we still don't know as a society? I don't know. I don't, I'm sure his friends know, but I don't think mainstream anyone knows who Banksy is or so what he is. That's incredible. Like. Yeah. That, that, that's like, that shows all they give a shit about is the art. Yeah. And they're creating value to society. They're not focused on, look at me, look at, look at what I'm doing. Like a Kanye, for example, if Kanye didn't seek out credit for everything that he needed, he sought out credit for, he, we would appreciate him for the brilliant mind that he is, but because it's always comes back to it's me. I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm Van Gogh. I'm It's like, dude, be secure enough with your craft, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, looking back, like on his career at this point, I don't think anyone would argue that he's yeah. well, probably the most impactful artist that, since I've been born. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when he says it, you don't want to tell him that he is. You're just yeah. like, all right, well, if you're going to be a dick about it, then I'm not going to give you the validation. Yep. Yep. And if you create a product that really creates value, the validation of your product is going to be the exact same validation that you're seeking personally, except it's not going to be attached to you, right? And if you have to be okay with it, the moment that it becomes attached to you, the individual, the moment that the the lens shines brighter on you, all of your flaws get exposed. Like this is the reason why I don't really care for fame. It's like no human being is perfect. We all live in glass houses. When people take things out of context or soundbite or catch you in a bad moment, that gets magnified to a point where now the attention is on you, good and bad. Yeah. If you create value and you create a product that has value and you detach it from a person, you almost trick this fucked up world and the fucked up people in it because now they don't have the room to judge a person right and and so much of society is built on judging people 
analyzing people. Are they a good person? Are they a bad person? Are they racist? Are they not racist? Are they this? Are they not? That if you trick society into not focusing on that, you can actually create value. That's the hack, right? Yeah. That's the value of, of brands in general is you can position them to stand for higher ideals we all strive for. Yeah. And that's what, when you rep a brand, that's really what you're repping. You're repping in what it stands for, right? And it's like, you're identifying that you stand for the same things. I think that's rad. I think that's super dope. And yeah. I think that that is a very personal thing too. It's not something you have to advertise to the world unless, I mean, there's even times where I think you should, you know, I wear stuff with logos. Like it's fun too from time to time. It's yeah. usually, you know, a Lassa logo, but yeah. that doesn't mean I haven't had times in my life where I've worn things very loudly with other brand logos on them. Right. But that's like, if, if something really resonates with you deeply, share it. But don't share it because you need somebody else to like you for it. Share it because you want to tell the world what you feel and the way you way you see yourself in the world. Yeah, it's funny. I've never been – I like brands that I can afford, right? Yeah. And I like also finding deals on brands that are more expensive. That's the brown in us, bro getting them cheaper right that's yeah. actually fun to me and i actually tried recently i tried to see what it would feel like to buy something really expensive that i didn't really think um had value right about an expensive backpack it didn't it didn't give me any sort of feeling <laughs> and i'm like why do people do this like for me i was like well, if it, if it makes other people happy, I can't judge it. But this I gotta say, though, a backpack is a really good purchase for something expensive. If you buy, there's two types of expensive backpacks, right? There's the kind that just got the logo slapped on it. It's kind of a shitty product. There's the kind that's actually like a really well thought out product where every zipper has a purpose and every slot has a purpose. What like kind did you get? Toomey's a great example, right? Toomey's a great brand, yeah. Yeah, and they're not so, so high up there. You bought a Toomey backpack, didn't you? No, I bought a, I bought a, I'm, I, I did it worse. I bought a Louis backpack. No, you didn't. Yeah. Oh. I, yeah. It was. I've been to that factory. They're not that good. No, they're not. But hey, got me, it got me some clout. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it on the gram <laughs> yet. Oh man! We need to see you. Need to see you wearing it in the airport with your Louis suitcase behind you, and your hand reached back like your and and whoever's taking the photos holding your hand. If I do that, (laughs) it will be all fake stuff. (laughs) That looks real. (laughs) The only Louis anything I have is is one that I picked up out the back door of the factory when I was in China. Yeah, (laughs) the kind that that quote unquote falls off the truck. You know what I mean? Same one, same, same way I got it. So my backpack yeah. was definitely discounted, but still <laughs> I did it for the feeling of like, okay, what does it do for people when you buy a name brand or you buy an expensive product? And it's like, doesn't do a whole lot. Now I will say that this is the brown in us again. I do think that there are smart ways that you can create value. Buying a 22 or 24 carat piece of jewelry it holds its value and it's nice right it doesn't have a brand attached to it. it's not a it's not a, a tiffany's piece but you can get and have nice things of value and do it 
with some logic and some sense as well. Jewelry's dope. Jewelry's dope for that for sure. And I think like tasteful jewelry is is always awesome. There's like the fear I always have, which is like when you go to a major city or when you're walking around wearing too much jewelry, you know, that's always something you gotta avoid. So you gotta pick and choose your moments. But yeah, I think I think jewelry is a good purchase because it's an asset, you know? And that's you know, not to get too deep into into classifying luxury and designer goods. I, I just had a Louis Vuitton joke. I, I just needed to get out before we continue down the thread. I uh, just wanted to say that our backpacks are Louis Vuitton. <laughs> <laughs> the O's missing. <laughs> that's, such a, that, that's, that's such a bad joke, but <laughs> irrelevant, irrelevant, but bad joke. Yeah, and, but so on point. Yeah. So on point. Anyway, um, yeah, man. I mean, I think I think like when I when I look at the way a lot of people I know make decisions, I wish that they would ask themselves a question before they make the purchase. Is if I buy this, is my urge going to be to show it off? Yeah. Right. If you have that desire, it's probably not the purchase for you. That's how that that to me is it. And I think that carries over in business, that carries over in work. Don't take the job because it's the highest paying job. That's a stupid decision. Don't take a job because it's the job that, you know, has the most clout oriented with it. Like the title makes you feel good. Like the amount of people in my life that have wanted to work with me and cared so much about their title, right? Like I had a former colleague who cared a ton about his title yeah, and he used his title to treat people badly. And it was one of those things where I was just like, dude, like if you're going to treat people badly, you don't deserve that fucking title. Like, yeah, you want to have a good title, earn it, act like it. You know, you can't, you can't fake your way into being who you want to be. Like if you want to be cool, you want to be well-dressed, you want to be suave, you can't fake that shit. You have to actually be it. And that's a way harder process. And, you know, I hope, I hope everybody from, from the, audience base here i think we have a pretty fucking dope audience base honestly i feel like i could kick it with everybody with who listens to this but you know y'all don't need to know this but for every one of your friends that's that's you know rubbing you the wrong way next time they flex on you just just don't give them any validation just be like oh that's cool i guess find something you don't like about it you know what i mean it's gonna just push their button be like that's cool but you know i like the gucci one better yeah, it's it's just it's I think no response is the best response because people who are driven by those things, you want to make them think. And the best way to make them think is to not give them what they are seeking. It's such a trick. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. You would think some of these people are, are, are smart, logical people. But when you don't give them the response that they're seeking, they almost like flip. And you'll see this over and over. If you ignore it. They almost their minds get like unwired and they don't know how to respond. And it's, it's fun and amazing to see, but it, what it does is it, it's, it's fun because it forces them to actually think. And that's kind of what the goal should be is try to make your friends think about these decisions that they're making and actually rationalize whether or not they're making these decisions for the right reasons and whether they're actually extracting the value that they desire from them. And you're right it's 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 important and it, it's also important to understand that it is not an abundance mentality 
to just keep buying expensive shit and saying, I'll just be able to buy more later. I'm going to keep making money. It's actually a scarcity mindset. It is because why you're doing it is because you're insecure personally. Um, and you need that to val to have other people validate you. Um, the, the number of people that I know who buy expensive things that I know in this generation are very, very few and far between. Most of them are doing it um, yeah. with a scarcity mindset. Yeah, so I think here's the, the personal challenge is observe yourself this week. Find something that you want to do that is because of an insecurity. So that could be if you see yourself wanting to post something on social media just to get some likes because you haven't talked to some talk to too many people in the last couple of days, or you feel like you want to go buy some stuff, whatever that might be, to hit that need inside of you. Recognize that feeling this week and then do something that's purely for yourself that you're not going to share with anyone else instead. So take a walk, leave your phone inside, and try to listen to the birds or drive yourself to go see a movie and go watch a movie you haven't seen by yourself and just enjoy it, you know? But to me, I think that's a challenge I want to pose to everybody and, you know, hit us up, like, let us know how it went. We see some of you in person, you know, we don't see some of you in person. So DM us, tweet us, whatever it might be. And let's all grow together. Let's make that what, what this podcast does. Let's, let's let us all elevate. Yeah, that's that's the purpose of the podcast. And always remember to stay moving. Be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on up.